welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Many of you don't know your breakthrough ain't coming. Your breakthrough's already with you. He's with you. The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but they are divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. Some of you need to learn, y'all too conservative, but some of y'all need to learn that some breakthroughs come when you lift your hands. Y'all ain't hearing me yet. Some breakthrough comes when you open your mouth and give him the fruit of your lips. Some breakthroughs come when you just take a run sometimes or, 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 or wave your hands. And if you can't wave your hands, you should just be able to moan. But if you put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, some of the stuff that has you heavy will just fly away, fly away. So we lift up our God today and thank him for um, this stupendous opportunity we have today. We are... Um, it's good to see everybody here. Before I um, um, uh, um, just make this quick announcement, um, I want um, to thank our team, our media team, our worship team, our staff. Will you give God a hand praise for how they all have been doing, how they've been doing getting us good for today. I don't know if you know this, but it takes a lot with media and they got folks, you y'all can't see it, but they running around with cameras. I feel like we're in the Epiphany Studios. Amen, we have our own studio. God is moving and so thank everyone for how um, you all are just working so hard, volunteers and staff. Um, God sees and we see too. Amen, so today it's a special Sunday because we're having uh, the ordination of four gentlemen to become pastors at Epiphany Fellowship. Um, we have Geshel Warwood. We have Mac Lahorn. Um, we have Vernon Mobley Jr. And we have uh, Mark Lyons as well. Amen. And so. Today, um, they are each going to do like the old church. When you used to get your call in the ministry, they'd have you do your trial sermon and your initial sermon. See, y'all too young. Y'all know nothing about that. You know, um, and, uh, and this is going to be kind of both for them combined. They'll each have 10 minutes each. Um, 10 minutes in the name of Jesus. 10 minutes. And so um, I'm going to pray over them. And after that, we'll have invitation, communion. And then stay on, stay on, because uh, we are going to actually do their formal ordination, public ordination live. Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you, honor you for this opportunity to see. The Bible says that if anyone desires the office of a pastor, it's a good thing. So God, I'm praying today um, that you will show the, that, that leaders are a grace to the church and help these gentlemen uh, to display through you, display through them, Lord God, why your grace 
is upon them for such a time as this. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Epiphany Fellowship. I want to first give honor to, uh, I give honor to God, I'm going back old school, now I got me going old school. Give honor to God. I want to give all praise and glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, I want to give honor to our, uh, our pastor, lead pastor, Dr. Mason, to uh, Pastor Nyron, Pastor Kurt, um, to my family, my wife and children, parents, in-laws, extended family. I love you all. Thank you for praying. And I got 10 minutes, so let's go. Uh, if you can... Uh, Turn your Bibles, please, to uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. It's a uh, fairly familiar, familiar uh, passage of Scripture, so I'm just going to begin to read as you find it. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. My subject today is God's antidote for leaders. God's antidote for leaders. An antidote is a medicine taken or given to counteract a particular poison. As you know, today we'll be preaching about the fundamentals of leadership. We're going to talk about leading, feeding, caring, and protecting for the flock. I'll briefly cover what it means to lead. Leadership is built on core competency. It's built on character, compatibility, and commitment, and so many more things. With my time, I'd like to talk, though, about some of the poisons, the things that can interrupt, and how the Lord spoke to Joshua about what he needed to counteract that strength and courage. One of my favorite movies is The Rock. I don't know if you guys remember that movie from uh, back in the mid-90s. I know Pastor Kirk got me on that one. Uh, it starred Keanu Reeves. It's basically set in the uh, San Francisco area. There's some mercenaries that took over uh, Alcatraz Island. They're going to shoot some uh, rockets in the San Francisco, right, and poison. Uh, thousands of people and kill them if they don't get some money. That's the long and short of the story. But it was about chemical weapons and Keanu, um, not Keanu Reeves, but the, the lead character, Nicolas Cage, actually was, uh, he was an expert at disarming the weapon. So he's going in, the movie's got everything. He's going in to disarm him, but he was real skeptical. He was squirmish about the antidote they gave him, right? He didn't want to use it. Um, through my time in the military, I'm familiar with the uh, destruction of chemical weapons we used to train all the time. Thankfully, I never had to endure it, but uh, usually we would use protective suits and masks, but there's always a potential that you would be infected, even if the mask didn't seal or if your suit was compromised. So they give us uh, antidotes. They give us auto-injectors to stab ourselves with in case we were exposed. Well, as we go to this chapter, uh, the, the text that we're talking about today, uh, God has given Joshua a charge. But I, I would suggest he's also given him an antidote. Uh, he he, he uh, repeats time and time again that uh, he needs to have strength and courage. So I'm going to say right now that strength and courage is an antidote for discouragement and fear. Uh, the children of Israel, as we come into this, uh, the, the, uh, the book of Joshua, the children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. There was a uh, disobedient and murmuring generation that wasn't ready to step into the promised land. Um, the, basically, the Lord had, had taken them long enough to kill off that generation, and now it's time to move in. So we get to verse 2. The Lord is speaking to Joshua, and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving to the Israelites. 
The Lord is finally fulfilling his promise to Abraham, their father. He's finally given them the land that he had promised them, and it's time to move in. But he goes to verse 6, and that's when Joshua begins to get his auto-injectors. He gets his antidote. If we follow from 6 to 9, we see God say, be strong and courageous. And then he says, above all, be strong and very courageous. And finally, where we were in verse 9, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Why the emphasis? Well, the emphasis is real simple. Despite Joshua's resume, and he has a long one, he's a formidable uh, warrior, he's a man of faith, but like any leader, he's vulnerable to the chemical weapon of discouragement and fear. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a deacon, a life group leader, a ministry leader, just lead your family. The longer that you lead, the more you commit yourself to feeding, caring for, and loving those under your, under your control, the more you're vulnerable to discouragement and fear. The problem with discouragement and fear is it's like a chemical weapon because you can actually be achieving mad success as a leader, right? But then that cloud descends on you. All of a sudden, you question your call. You're feeling insecure and second-guessing God's voice. You're being filled with anxiety and depression. You're crumbling under the weight of criticism, and now you begin to dream small and play it safe. Discouragement and fear can cause a leader to soothe their bruised egos and manage stress with substitute saviors, right? Drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, and laziness. We make decisions based on our comfort and not God's commands. And now our progress is halted. Joshua saw this firsthand as he walked with Moses. In fact, the whole reason Joshua is leading them into the promised land and not Moses is arguably from Numbers 20 when, when this came upon Moses. I got 10 minutes, so I can't talk about that. So get into Numbers 10 and read about what happened to Moses. Suffice it to say that discouragement can build silently for years and then express in an outburst of disobedience. That's why the Lord said be strong and courageous. But how are we strong and courageous? Well, the King James says, uh, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might in Ephesians 6. But strength doesn't come from us. We're strong because God is strong in us. We're strengthened by his word. How's your study of God's word, man and woman of God? Is his word a light to your path? Look at verse 8. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. We need robust Bible study as leaders. Daily bread at sunrise won't cut it. He said day and night. We are strengthened by a healthy biblical, a biblical community. As we continue in the text, the Israelites actually echoed back to him at the end of chapter 1, be strong and courageous. There's power in healthy biblical community. As leaders, we have to reach out and find safe ways to connect, right? And then finally, we're strengthened through prayer. We must be consistent in prayer as leaders. We must be, uh, I love the way, I love the, the, the book of James, it says, the effectual and fervent prayer, the righteous availeth much. How is your prayer life, ministry leader? Do you treat God like the proverbial spare tire? You pull him out when you have an emergency? Or are you patient in prayer? Are you relentless? Are you bowed before the throne? We must stay in the word. We must stay in healthy biblical community. And we got to stay on our knees in prayer. Now, I talked about the movie The Rock. And uh, I mentioned Nicolas Cage was a little squirmish about uh, the antidote that he had to carry. He had to carry this big uh, needle around. And the reason he was squirmish, I didn't say, was he had to actually stab himself in the heart in order for the antidote to work. Um, many of us as leaders are like Nicolas Cage, right? We don't want to stab ourselves in the heart. 
Y'all taking my time now, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but the heart is what the Lord wants. He wants to give us a new heart and put a new spirit in us. He wants to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So unlike Nicolas Cage, when we come into contact with the chemical weapon of discouragement and fear, what do we do? We stab our heart with the fruits of the spirit. We stab our hearts with biblical, wise biblical counsel. We stab our hearts with fervent and effectual prayer and we stab our hearts with healthy biblical community. We don't have to be discouraged or afraid because we have a savior that has conquered the world. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. God's antidote for leaders. Amen. If you got your Bibles, meet me in John chapter 21, verse 15 and 17. Uh, I'm not going to wait for y'all to get it. I'll just read it here. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. Verse 16, uh, a second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know, I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. Verse 17 says, he asked him a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? I love this part. Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus responds, feed my sheep. If I could tag this text in our exchange for the 10 minutes that I have, I like to tag it, the sheep are hungry. The sheep are hungry. There's, a, there's some quick background I want to give you. Um, this is post the crucifixion. This is the, after the resurrection. And, and Jesus appeals or appears to his disciples for the third time. It, what's interesting is he's getting ready to do a miracle. Look, this is what happens. Peter it tells, tells his disciples at night that he's going out to sea to go get some fish. And they caught nothing. Uh, but when the sun appeared, the sun appeared. You missed it. You'll get it on the way home. Uh, but, but when the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the land. And he looked at them and he said, uh, you haven't caught anything, have you? And they said no. And so uh, Jesus being who he is, he can't see a problem and not fix it. And so he tells them to lower their nets uh, on the right side of the boat. They go ahead and do that. They are obedient disciples. And so they go ahead and lower the boat. I mean, lower their nets uh, on the on the boat. And it says um, it says this. They were unable to haul all of the fish because it was a large number. Yeah. So your boy, Peter, he hears that Jesus on land. And so he he decides to jump off and go ahead and swim to shore. And so I don't understand why he's so brave, but it's not outside of his character that he would do something like this. But when he gets to land, what he sees, and so the disciples also see, is a charcoal fire with fish and bread on it. I'm going to get to that in a second, but we're going to keep moving. Uh, 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 what, what's, what's, getting, what, what's getting ready to happen is good shepherding. Somebody say good shepherding. Jesus feeds them physically. 
He has fish and bread ready for them. Don't skip over that. They, they are probably hungry after being on shore for so long. And so morning has now come and they are hungry. Jesus then gives them fish to eat. And he says, let's sit down and let me fix some meals for you. And so they eat. And, and, and as they're eating, uh, where we get to uh, in our text today, it says they are finishing eating. They are finishing eating. They, they, it, what's, what's beautiful is, is what happens is God feeds them physically. Verse 15 says this, though, when they had uh, eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, now I want to take a step back. Remember in, 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 in verse 9 uh, of this same chapter, what they see is the charcoal fire. Notice how many times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? What Jesus is not interested in is just feeding you physically. But he's interested in feeding you and restoring you emotionally and spiritually. And so he has to look at uh, verse uh, chapter 18 of John where Peter denies Jesus. How many times? Three times. And so Jesus has to deal with Peter in his denial first before he can set him up. Y'all missed it. He has to feed him physically first, but then he has to feed him spiritually, but he has to address the problem. And so here Jesus is helping Peter address the problem. He's feeding him spiritually. He says, son, do you love me? Do, do, do you really love me? And Peter responds. And after the third or at the third time, Peter gets frustrated. He is frustrated with the, with the restoration process. Many of us are always frustrated with our restoration process because we can't see the end of our restoration. But here's what I want you to know. I know that the pastors have your well-being at mind and at heart. And so what I would encourage you today is when you are going through your restoration process, don't look at it like they're beating you up. They're just restoring you. Yeah, they're restoring you. In order, in order for Peter to go on and do what he has to do, he has to first be restored. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the jobs of the pastor. One of the jobs is to feed and in the feeding, sometimes what you hear is not not always what you want to hear but it's good for your soul yes Jesus here Jesus here and I'm, I'm, I'm landing the plane Jesus here wants to feed Peter physically he wants to feed him spiritually restoring him to where he wants him to go what's beautiful in this text and what's beautiful what's beautiful about every sinner saved by grace is us wicked people who were like Peter denying the Savior have been brought through Jesus Christ near we have been restored, and because we have been restored, we have the good news of the gospel. That, that he'll take the broken things, clean them up, and use them for his glory. I'm a product of a good shepherd. I, I'm a product of being fed. I like the way Jen Wilkins says it. She says this, in, in leadership, remember what it felt like to be in the pew. And so today... And every day of my life, I want to take those words of remembering what it was, what it felt like to be shepherd, yeah. 
to be shepherded through some difficult times, to be challenged in my sin, to be challenged to be better. I want to take those words and I want to be able to pass those things on to you. I like the way Second Timothy, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he, he says, preach the word. <laughs> be ready in season and out of season. Correct? rebuke and encourage watch this is my favorite part with great patience and teaching for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine but according to their own desires with multi and will multiply teachers for themselves because they have itching ears this is what i'll say and i'm in my seat i'll preach the word i'll preach the word till lives are changed i'll preach the word until marriages are restored i'll preach the word till family members repent i'll preach the word until bodies are healed i'll preach the word till demons are driven out i'll preach the word because the sheep are hungry Can't preach nothing without the mic, but here we go. <laughs> preach the word, Vern. I hear you. Uh, ten minutes. It's real short. Lord, use your boy. Um, I'm going to be in Acts uh, 20, 28. Acts 20, chapter 20, verse 28. Uh, just by way of context, uh, this is Paul speaking to uh, elders at the Ephesian church who met him in a place called Miletus, uh, which was about 30 miles south of Ephesus. Um, and, and he's jamming them up. He says a few things to them, but in verse 28, he's really admonishing them and charging them. And this is what he says. He says, be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. One more time for good measure. He says, be on guard or pay careful attention. Take heed, watch out for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you or appointed you an overseer to shepherd the church of God or feed the church or care for the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood or some might say with the blood of his own son. Uh, I want to preach from the topic, handle with care, handle with care. So just real quick, uh, I'll be vulnerable. Really what we're going to do is just listen in on my conversations with the Messiah. Um, Mac, as you embark on this eldership thing, you're going to get this little ministry thing popping. You're going to embark on what I'm calling you to do. I want you to do for my church what you have seen on many a package. You've seen packages at the post office, at UPS, at FedEx, Amazon. You order way too much from Amazon with your little Amazon Prime account with your free delivery. And you've seen when there's valuable contents that it says handle with care. I want you to handle my church, treat with respect, protect the contents, make sure you do no harm to my flock, handle with care. Me, of course, quick to speak sometimes like Peter. I got you, God. I know what you said to Peter, feed your sheep, I'm on it. Like I'm learning little Greek and Hebrew, just very little bit. I'm going to hit him with the, the Greek genitives and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. I'm going to feed your sheep. I got it. Let's go. Let's go. 
To which Christ will often say to me, you talk too much, Mac. Pipe down, listen to what I'm saying. This is how I want you to feed and handle uh, with care. I want you to first be on guard for yourself. I want you to pay attention to yourself. All of the elders that lead my flock, I want them to pay attention to themselves individually and collectively. Because think about it, Mac. How can you find joy in me? If you, how can you ask the congregation and the flock to find joy in me if you don't find joy in me? You have to watch and pay attention to yourself, Mac. How can you ask them to believe the gospel and to preach it often to themselves and meditate on it if you don't do this, Mac? Watch yourself. How can you ask them to stay away from sexual immorality, to devote themselves to prayer, to cherish and read the word of God, to hide it in their hearts, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples if you have not done this yourself, Mac? Watch yourself before you try to help someone else. Mac, you've been on a plane many a times. You done, you done flown around the country. You done flown across the world. And you've heard the flight attendants say, uh, uh, in the event that there's a change in cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling. And what I want you to do first is put the mask on yourself first before you help somebody else. Right? We don't want two passed out people in the plane. Watch yourself first and then help somebody else. Right? Uh, Mac, uh, um, I know you used to bench press back in the day. I've been with you, you know what I'm saying? You got the dad bod now, but back in the day, you was doing a little something, and so you would never spot somebody if you've never lifted 285 and they lifted 285. How are you going to help them if it falls on their chest, Mac? Watch your weight. Get your weight up. Watch yourself first before you help somebody else. Me, okay. You jamming me up, God, point taken. (laughs) I'm going to watch myself. I understand. Let's go. I got this. Let's do this. I'm ready. Christ says, uh, slow your roll, young Padawan. You're talking too much. I'm not done. Listen to what I'm saying. I want you to do for the flock what I've told you to do for yourself. I want you to watch the flock. I want you to shepherd and care for the flock. Mac, remember, I am the good shepherd. I do this. This is what I does. Let me learn you something. You talk too much. I know and care for all my sheep because I am the good shepherd. I feed all my sheep because I am a good shepherd. I protect my sheep. I am intimately involved with my sheep. I don't give preferential to one sheep over another. I will leave certain sheep not unattended but to go grab another one who may be lost. I smell like my sheep because I'm always with and among my sheep. My sheep know my voice. My sheep listen to me because I am the good shepherd. Now, I know you're not me, Mac. I know you're not the good shepherd. I know that. But you are a shepherd now. And that over my sheep, not your sheep, my sheep. I expect that when you deal with my sheep, you handle with care, Mac. See, care is a critical component of the Christian life, Mac. And that even more for a shepherd who is called to care for a flock. And you care better when you know who it is and what it is that you are caring for. Are you jamming me up, God? (laughs) Respect, Messiah. Respect, Yeshua. Um, I don't want no beef, no smoke. It's your church. I am going to do what you say. I'm going to watch myself. I'm going to watch the flock. I got you. Can we get to it? I'm ready. Let's do this, God. Let's do it. Sit down, Max. Slow down. I'm not done. Last but most certainly not least, Mac, I know that you understand care of something of your own. 
You and your wife always telling your kids this all the time. Matter of fact, I peeped you told your kids this yesterday. You didn't think I was watching? One of the main reasons to express care for something, Mac, is when you invest in it or you have ownership in it. Whenever they break something in your house, you get on them about not caring for what is yours. You get on them about being careless and reckless with what you have paid for and you have invested in. It's just different when it ain't yours, Mac. The church is mine, homeboy. It's mine. They are mine. I bought the church. I got the receipts. I purchased the church with my own blood. And I expect that you appraise it and according, uh, accordingly um, and regard them in the manner in which they should be regarded. Remember 1 Corinthians 6, Mac? Right? They are bought with a price. See, humans uh, that are redeemed are mine. They are my church. My coming down among them made them mine, not yours. My sinless life and never succumbing to temptation made them mine, not yours. It was my ministry that made them mine. My obedience, even when leading to suffering, bloodshed, and death that made them mine, not yours. My resurrection made them mine. My ascension made them mine. And I will come back for what is mine, not yours, Mac. I can almost see Christ saying to me uh, with a head tilt and an eyebrow raised, you, don't trip, Mac. This is mine. When I come back, I expect you have done what I asked you to do. Uh, and then Jesus uh, kind of finishes a conversation with me and says, remember who it is that you're dealing with, Mac. I know you read back in John 8 when I had a reaction or interaction with those Jewish people back then. Remember that? Right, I was politicking with the Jewish people, and I said that Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. And they said, um, how do you know Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And I was like, uh, well, before Abraham was, I am. They was tripping, wasn't they, Mac? Oh, oh, never mind. You weren't there. I'm eternal. So never mind. I'm telling you what happened. They was tripping. I don't want you to forget that, Mac. Don't forget that I am the one who has the sheep and I am the one who will come back for my church. I will return for what is mine. And when I do, I expect that you will have taken care of my special possession because I paid a lot for it. So handle with care. God bless you. God bless you. Grace and peace, everybody. Welcome, family. Welcome. Uh, this morning, this morning, I'll be coming from the same passage that my brother just waxed so eloquently on. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. The shepherd, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from among your, even from among your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. Today... I'm just coming with a simple, a simple task, a simple uh, title, A Leader Protects. What does it mean to protect? According to, uh, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, to protect means to guard, to shield, to defend, to keep. It also means to maintain the integrity or status of something. 
in the Greek, there are different semantic ranges in which it is to be understood and to be used correctly. One of which is the Greek word tereo, which is used primarily to indicate observing commands, physically or figuratively, to guard until an appointed time. In the New Testament, the word its, arrange, its, its range is typically applied in passages and context about the Father or the Lord Jesus protecting his own followers from the evil one, i.e., you look at the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Another example of the word protect is called phalasio. I may be pronouncing it wrong. Phalasio. This is likened to the word samar, which is the Hebrew version of the word to keep. It means to refer to being on guard, on guard duty, keeping or observing the law or the, law or the word of God, applying it to one's life to avoid something such as idolatry. This can be used regarding that which is tangible, i.e. your home, your possessions, you protecting yourself, those things that are dear to you, Right? This can help you, you know, you know uh, you're, you're protecting those things that, that, that belong to you. Keep from, you know, um, protect yourself from being stuck up or even being plundered or robbed. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, to guard the deposit that has been entrusted to him. It is also to indicate that God is protecting his flock from evil. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, and Jude chapter Jude. Verse 24, not chapter, verse 24. Another word for protect is episkopos. This means guardian, overseer, supervisor. It indicates one who gives, in, who gives oversight of a task or others. For instance, I'm a father. All of us on this stage are fathers. I'm a father of six. I have the duty to protect and to watch over my wife and all six of my children. I am their overseer. Ultimately, God is their overseer, but God has placed me as the brunt responsibility carrier and weight holder of protecting and giving oversight to them, their well-being. Not just their physical, their physical existence, but their emotional well-being, their spiritual formation, and their safety. In the New Testament, it is used of leaders who lead and give charge and care for the church. God's flock, his people. Acts 20, 28, what my man Mac just read. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. They follow the mantle of the chief shepherd. In case you wasn't quite sure who that is, that's the Lord Jesus Christ or as my man said in Hebrew, Yeshua, right? He's the overseer of our souls. Christ Jesus, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, right? Bear with me here. Bear with me here. These men are qualified in character and integrity. They're charged with thoroughly giving care for God's people, who are his only flock, who are his flock in the same manner and likeness as Jesus, being that he is the ultimate shepherd, and that all pastors, elders, overseers, under shepherds 
are to model and to follow Jesus' example. Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John chapter 10 verse 15. This points back ultimately that God is the ultimate shepherd. You take a look at Psalm 23. It is beautifully penned by David who himself was a shepherd. Paul gives strict and stern heavy warning and charge for those men who protect the sheep. The church from corruption. Men who are in our very own midst or may have risen from among you and or have even risen from among us. Ravenous wolves, they run through the camp and slither their ways very subtly and craftily through the church, picking off cats left and right. Those who like to isolate themselves, not being in the midst of community. For example, this is a little shameless plug. If you want to know what a, I want to give you a great horrible example of what a poor shepherd or what poor shepherding looks like. Take a look at Ezekiel 34. That's your homework assignment. That's your homework assignment. You want to know what a poor shepherd looks like? You want to know the type of people that God has beef with who recklessly shepherd his folk? Who recklessly fleece the flock? Who, reckless, who recklessly destroy the flock? Take a look at Ezekiel 34. What they have done and what God ultimately requires of them. What does it look like for a leader to protect? For one, as my man Mac eloquently waxed, he says to watch over themselves, their personal lives, and your doctrine. You can't have one without the other. Properly leading and nurturing God's people by teaching God's word comprehensively. With an extreme measure of prejudice, guarding against immorality, and corruption of ethics in our personal lives, guarding against unholiness, which can spread throughout the church and even have ripple effects throughout our city, throughout the block, throughout the nation and the world. Yeah. Openly correcting and rebuking the flock, covenant community in love and spirit and gentleness, with grace and truth, giving words of encouragement, exhorting the church, not just the church, but even to those who don't belong to the church, giving honor to whom honor is due, exercising and administrating church discipline when deemed necessary for purity of the body, Im uh, imitatingly, imitatingly knowing and learning and studying his sheep, intimately, I'm sorry, intimately knowing, learning, Studying, examining, being attentive to a sheep, what they're like, what they're not like. Going after sheep that have gone astray. A leader protects by being familiar with what is going on on the block, being cognizant of what's going on within the culture so that we may have, a, uh, we may have an immense impact on the church culturally, being culturally relevant. I would say a leader protects by repenting for his and their sins, their failures, and their shortcomings. That is imperative. You protect the flock by guarding against your own sins by repenting. And in closing, I'm real short. 
if one is ever wondering what a, what what it is or what a good shepherd is and how their to how their protection is being exercised in the church the flock or others he is willing to lay he is willing to lay down his life to protect the safety and well-being of those he's been entrusted with and to care to know lead and to protect does he contend for the maturity and the integrity of those to whom he's entrusted to to follow the chief shepherd in an inhumane and sometimes humiliating fashion for the exaltation of Jesus' bride. If you see these things being copied in the lives of your leadership, then you have good leaders. Amen. I'm proud. How many of you are proud today? Amen. Before we do formal ordination, if you're here today, um, if you're watching or here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we want to offer you the opportunity uh, to put your confidence in the one who uh, actually committed himself uh, to you by dying on the cross for your sins. Uh, if that's you, um, in, in the comments, just say, uh, our search team actually will put uh, an email where we want to talk to you more about Christ's life, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, and ultimately your ability to come into a relationship with God through him. Well, let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Communion is a time to celebrate the death of our Lord. And uh, communion is a way that we, we consistently affirm our unity with one another and our unity with one another. This is where we know that everybody equal. There's no black, white, Asian, Latino. Um, there's no rich, there's no poor, middle class. At the, at the table of the Lord, everyone uh, is there by equal standing. Although those different uh, facets are present, uh, they have no merit in relation to our ability to call one another brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Um, so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let us eat together. Amen. After the Passover meal and the bitter herbs, he took the cup and he passed it to his disciples and said, this is my blood, blood of a new and everlasting covenant which was shared for you and for many for the remission of sins. Let us drink together. At this time, um, I want to invite the current Epiphany elders, Pastor Nyron and Pastor Kurt, up to the stage as we get ready for this time. You could bring it. Thank you. Um... At this time, we will have the formal appointment and ordination of the new Epiphany pastors elect. Will you guys come and stand in position? All right. So I charge you today, um, gentlemen, that you are called to this role because God has appointed you 
to this role. First, he appointed you, like Acts said, to salvation. And now he has appointed you, this day he's appointing you as shepherds of his flock. Uh, the Bible says, shepherd the flock among you. It says, do not shepherd like the Gentile shepherd, lording it over the flock. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to lead the flock. Leading means giving direction to, giving clarity to, giving vision to, giving strategy to. Feeding means giving the necessary spiritual nutrition that helps them not only go from spiritual death to spiritual life, but from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Uh, uh, care. Care is the reality of the fact that sheep are broken many times. <clears throat> and they go through a lot of pains and a lot of life hurts and things that happen to them and, and also a lot of times things that happen because of them. And because of that, you have to be a gracious shepherd, restoring them in gentleness, knowing that such could happen to you, if not worse. And so you minister to them and shepherd them like 2 Timothy uh, 2 says, because uh, they may lead them to repentance. No, Jesus says, I, my sheep know my voice. Knowing what's going on, like an Issacharian leader, <clears throat> what you are called to do is Israel knew the times and knew what Israel ought to do. And therefore, in order to properly feed, in order to properly lead, you got to know what's going on with them in order that you may give them the nutrition that's needed for their development and for their growth and for their care. And last but not least, protect. That's where we show off the reality of the fact that we are emphasizing a commitment uh, to making sure that we protect the sheep, even if they don't think they're being protected. You have to protect them even with your very lives. And so I charge you today to lead, feed, care, know, and protect the flock of God. So if you repeat after me, I do, if you agree with this, and respond with I do, and then we will commence. Do you affirm, each one of you, that you will lead, feed, care, know, and protect this flock? Um, do you say that you will preach the word of God in and out of season, and most of all, preaching the gospel to yourself? Do you affirm that you will fight with all of your might under the grace of Christ, as been said through Paul in Colossians chapter 129, striving with all his energy to, to make sure that you remain qualified in the role of a pastor of God's people? Amen, amen, amen. And finally, do you affirm that you will shepherd your family and lead them in the most powerful ways as a leader because it says, we're supposed to manage our homes well. Will you do that? I do. I do. Well, Geshel, you came here on the steps of a Bible study in clothing and asking a lot of questions, wondering about the faith. 16 years ago. I remember it well. I'm going to keep it together. And um, you were in my first discipleship group. And I'm proud of you. Mark, you called me like eight years ago. I think it was. And you were calling, asking advice. We ain't going to talk about what it was. But <laughs> and, um, and you came here. And the way you protected and led Sarita was exemplary to me. You came here, you're a humble, humble man. You didn't ask for anything, but God has given you everything. 
and we're proud of you. Mac, Mac, you've been with us since the beginning, and you've been running from this for quite some time. <laughs> um, but you've always really been a pastor, man. You've done it for years without the title. So really, we're just appointing you to what you've already been doing, my brother. Super, super, super proud of y'all. Um, Vern, you came here as a kid. Um, and now you're 30? You ain't 30 yet? Oh, man, sit down. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, um, man, you were raised here. And it's nothing like seeing something planted in the ground in it to grow to full maturity. And your church family is very, very, very proud of each of you. Well, today, I anoint you today Pastor Geshel Warwood. Pastor Mark Lyons. Pastor Mac Lawhorn. And Pastor Vernon Mobley. Y'all can turn around. Y'all can turn around. We present to you all today, men of whom we are very proud. So elders, will you go around and lay hands on two of their shoulders, if you will, as we pray them in place. You can stand behind them, Pastor Kirk. Father God, why don't you stretch your hands on TV and in here towards your pastors. God, today, we thank you for this opportunity, for your grace, and for your mercy, for your love and for your care, for your flock that you would appoint these type of people to lead them. Lord God, I'm fully, fully, fully convinced that these are the right men to lead your people. God, I pray that as we lock arms, we pray against the enemy's devices, as he would want to see division and confusion and power struggles. We come against them in Jesus' name. And God, we stretch our hands forth to you to be guardians of us, through your leaders. God, we appoint you this day. I remember Paul said in Acts, he says, when they preached the gospel to that entire city, and then from there, they made many disciples. And then from there, it said they appointed leaders for them and commended them to the grace of God. So we commend them to you and commend them to your grace and commend them to your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, amen. Thank you all for being with us. I know we were a little longer today, but thank you all for being with us. Much love to you. God bless you. See you next week. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.